We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Kyle Porter. Kyle, what are you doing? Are you, are you on Tiger Watch? I'm on Tiger Watch. I've got Tiger on one screen. I've got Carson Cunningham on the other. Uh, I'm live blogging. We're about to call a guest. I've got a lot going on. Uh, you're I, I you're a father I, of three children. I'm a, <laughs> i got three kids. Uh, I wanted to ask you, so there was an article that came out, I think it was after we talked on when did we tape our uh, Fallout sort of podcast on Wednesday, after we talked on Wednesday. Uh, did you see the quotes from that article? There had been a few quotes that had kind of come out before that, but it was sort of a full-on article about uh, why Mike Holder uh, said he re- kind of regretted what he said about Mike Gundy. Yeah, and he basically said you know, the same things he said on the very same podcast, right? Just if you come to OSU, they can change your life, and those are the same topics and and thoughts that he that he touched on. I, I thought it was kind of interesting he brought that back up, but that he, he pretty much said the same thing for 45 minutes to an hour with us, did he not? Yeah, I thought so. I just thought it was interesting that it was it was more framed in the light of like and like I shouldn't have said this and this is why. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it seems like he's he he regrets saying it obviously just with the firestorm that that happened, but um again, <laughs> You mentioned in your piece on, on the write-up on that article that you and I are still on Holder Island and, and Holder's setting sail away from the island. We're waving, him, <laughs> we're waving goodbye. Like well, we're still here. Uh, but one point I wanted to make about that before we move on. I know it's a dead horse. I know people are tired yeah, of hearing about it. We're but, just beating the crap out of it. <laughs> but I, I made this point on the radio uh, before I left. You know, Oklahoma State was losing to OU when OU was recruiting in like the teens, like the 15 range for the team rankings with Bob Stoops. Now OU's recruiting in the top three, the top five. So you can sit here and say that OSU's been successful. Uh, They haven't beaten OU. Maybe they just, maybe they're just not supposed to. Maybe that's just not a possibility. I don't know. But the the gap seems to be widening even further, not not lessening as far as the the talent discrepancy. And there there was a real window there when OU was recruiting in the teens. Yeah, I thought that was such such a great point by you. You brought that up. I think it was it was last year that. With Stoops retiring, Oklahoma, uh, excuse me, OU's recruiting is not going to get worse. It's going to get better because Lincoln Riley is. Uh, I don't know if he's a better recruiter than Bob Stoops, but so far the numbers uh, say that he is, and and his staff is. You know, and uh, you know, I I think that again, like my biggest takeaway from all of this is Mike Holder aspires to win championships, whether that's conference, national, whatever. And sometimes, like you always get that feeling with Mike Holder, and sometimes you get it with Mike Gundy. I don't, I don't doubt that Mike Gundy is competitive and whatever, but sometimes there's a there's a feeling of complacency a little bit. I, I don't think that that's breaking news to anybody that's followed Oklahoma State football for the last, you know, ten years or whatever. It just feels like, well, we kind of are who we are, and you know, there, there's, I, I don't know. It just feels like Mike Gundy. Um, Somebody said this. I think Oklahoma said it. It feels like Mike Gundy s- sees the ceiling and sort of reacts to it, and Mike Holder just ignores it. And that's sort of what you want in leadership is to just ignore the ceiling and figure out how to get beyond it. Mike Boynton's doing that. He sees no ceilings. So um, uh, to your point, I think Mike Boynton is uh, doing very much what Holder wants, just go after big fish and, and yeah. dream, bi- dream big. Uh, 
accomplish your goals. Best time of your life, right? <laughs> Speaking of Mike Boynton, uh, Jeffrey Carroll uh, went undrafted last week at the, in the NBA draft, uh, but he did sign with the, with the Los Angeles Lakers. Do you see any path for him to to making it in the NBA in the future? I don't know. I mean, he's he's interesting in that the, the, the best path for him would be to try to recreate what Danny Green was able to do. I don't think Danny Green was drafted. If he was, it was probably the second round. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, he was he, he bounced around, was in the D League, I think, at one point, and just he found that niche as a 3 and D player. Can Carroll do that? Can Carroll shoot close to 40% against NBA competition? If he can shoot anywhere close to that, he'll, he'll find a spot in the league. You know, there's, there's guys that, uh, that's the number one asset in the NBA right now is is three and D wings. Can he be that? I'm not sure. Is he athletic enough? I'm not sure. He's a really good college player. It's just there's been a lot of good college players that can't hack it against NBA competition. So I, I don't know. I haven't seen him play against that level yet. And if he can just find his niche as a three point shooter, I think he could have a legit shot to make a team. Yeah, you know we we, we talk a lot about how it's it's sort of weird like you can't totally tell in college who's going to make it and who's not. You can tell who's kind of going to have a, a shot uh, just by body type and performance and stuff like that. But there are always guys in the league, any league, whether that's NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, that it kind of surprises you. You're, you're like, wait, that, that guy made it, but that guy didn't. And so I, I don't – yeah, I, I'm with you. Like I, I don't want to sit here and be like, well, you know – I look at Markel Brown and he's sort of on the fringe, but hasn't really made it. So if he can't make it, then, then Jeffrey Carroll definitely can't make it because I, I, I do think there's a, there's like you said, there is a particular skill set that Carroll uh, has shown signs of and could develop further that, that could, uh, that could put him on an NBA team. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool if, if he was able to, to end up on a team someday. Yeah. Like, TJ McConnell playing for the Sixers in the playoffs. <laughs> in, in the play, in the like, in the uh, Eastern semis. Like whoever would have seen that, and Markel Brown not playing in the NBA. You know, so it's just exactly to your point. Yeah, it's just you never know. You never know. Yeah, so I, I totally. wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out, but uh, he needs to hit a lot of threes. Totally. Um, real quick before we call our guests, wanted to give you the floor on uh, Johnny Hendricks retiring from MMA. Uh, this is not my world. I'm totally <laughs> out of my world right now, but I know that you sort of knew him growing up and uh, I, were you surprised by the news? No, I think it was expected and frankly a little, a little overdue. He had lost five of his six last fights. He had missed weight. He really didn't look competitive in his last five or six fights and, I think everyone kind of saw this coming, but uh, yeah, I we went to the same high school. Two of my best friends wrestled with him at Evan Memorial. So Johnny actually rode my bus when I was in like fourth or fifth grade. That's how far back I've I've known him. Um, and I obviously went to college together at OSU. And I covered his first ever MMA fight at the Bricktown Event Center in front of like a thousand people. And I was able to cover his UFC championship win in Dallas. So just to see how far he came and just how good he got was was really incredible because you know he wasn't you know he's a he's a tough guy obviously and an elite elite wrestler but he wasn't just he wasn't known as the guy that like beat everybody up in high school by any means he was a super happy-go-lucky guy so I, w- I was always curious how his career would be in MMA and he was as good as you can get I mean he won the title at the the most competitive weight class and he beat for all intents and purposes 
maybe the best fighter ever in George St. Pierre. He's probably not the best, but he's certainly in the top five discussion. Is that uh, Johnny, GSP? Yeah, he lost he lost to GSP, but GSP went to the hospital and Johnny was drinking a beer at the press conference. So I, I think we all know who won that fight. But uh, no, uh, it was a great career. I mean, he, he really is one of the better fighters to come along. And uh, he just had a lot of issues making weight. I think when he won the belt, Kyle, it just he never quite was the same after that. You know, a lot of his haters like to point out that um, – they they acquired the USADA drug testing, which is like the Olympic level drug testing, and whenever they started doing that in the UFC, that's when he started to go on his his losing streak. But I, I think it was more of age, uh, made a ton of money. Uh, he'd already won the belt. I think it was just a lack of that that hunger like, to keep him going through, and maybe just age. I mean, he, he's he's up there in age as far as MMA is concerned. But nothing to shake his head about. He he had an unbelievable career, and uh, you know really exceeded all expectations do you think gsp could take me uh the question is how quickly would he want to take you is how many how many knots would he tie you in is the real question <laughs> uh, that's but uh one, yeah. one quick story when, when johnny was wrestling at edmund memorial we'd go to the yeah, duel this is great this is great and everyone would be chanting johnny john and he would just these, I felt so bad for these poor kids who had to wrestle Johnny Hendricks because they had just no chance. He would take them down and like let them up and just take them down to, to where he had like this ridiculous score. And then he would kind of like look up to the crowd, look up to the student section, like, do you want me to pin this guy or what? And everybody was like, yes, pin him. He'd, 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 find, he'd pin him on command. It was literally like a dad wrestling his <laughs> to toddler is what it looked like. Like me and Jude, like me and my, yeah. my four-year-old son. <laughs> yes. With uh, your wife and other kids looking on, saying, "Go pin him, Daddy, pin him." Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so good. Okay, uh, we need to call our guest. This is an exciting one, one that we've uh, uh, tried to get right after NCAs. Couldn't couldn't line it up. Couldn't make it work. But we're gonna call Matthew Wolf, uh, National Freshman of the Year, uh, All American, and uh, recent National Champion for Oklahoma State Golf. So it's time for the Coupel Works guest. Of the week, Coupe Works bring great tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City. Try the flagship F5 IPA, the Bold DNR Belgian Strong Ale, or the refreshing Horny Toad Blonde. For your next watch party tailgate or get together with friends, enjoy a cold Coupe Works, and please remember to drink responsibly. Okay, let's give uh, Matthew a call. Okay, we are now joined by national champion Matthew Wolf from Oklahoma State. Uh, Matthew, I assume you're back in Cali. Just give us an update on uh, what you're up to these days. Yeah, I got back uh, after the national championship. I uh, stayed in Stillwater for a little to hang out with some friends and pack up. And then I've been back here about a week and a half now, just, uh, you know, catching up with some old friends, still practicing some golf, getting ready for the uh, Palmer Cup that I'm leaving for um, on Monday, which is going to be held in France. So just, you know, trying to keep my game sharp and, you know, just enjoying the time back home. Is your Have French you... sharp? <laughs> Do you speak good I'm French? Sorry, what? Do you speak good French? Is your uh, French sharp? No, I, I took Spanish for three years, and that's not sharp at all. So I don't <laughs> think I don't think I'll be uh, I don't think I'm gonna be able to fit in that well there. But what 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 is the rest of what does the rest of the summer look like in terms of of tournaments and and just kind of before you go back to Oklahoma State in the fall? What what events are you trying to play in? Well, uh, I have the Palmer Cup in 
uh, about a week in France. And then I come back after that. And then I have a couple weeks off, just, you know, sharpen my game again and uh, see what I have to work on. And then I go to the Pacific Coast Amateur at Olympic Club the end of July. And then right after that, I go straight from San Francisco to uh, the Western Am at Sunset Ridge, which is, I heard is an amazing course. And, you know, I've never played in the Western Am before. So, you know, I've, I've seen all the, the past champions and everyone who's played in it. And it's pretty, pretty great field. So I'm excited to, you know, take a, take a swing at that. And then uh, right after the Western Am, I go, back home for about a week and then go up to San Francisco again for um, the U.S. Am at Pebble Beach and Spyglass Hill. Busy summer, busy summer. Um, Matt, hitting the winning putt had to be just an incredible experience. Just what was it like for you guys, not only to win the national championship, but to to stand over the putt knowing for it's the national title and make it? Just what was that like for you? Uh, I mean, it was it was incredible. I, uh, I was lucky I had my coach there, though. He, uh, kind of talked me through it and you know just kind of calmed me down a little you know I knew that I was putting good all day all he talks about was how I was you know how I'm a really good underrated putter most people don't realize that part of my game because you know I hit the ball so far and stuff but once I get on the greens I feel like I have an advantage and uh, he just kept on telling me that and we picked out a spot and you know just rolled it right in it was it was it was incredible and uh you know all the all the fans and everyone everyone surrounding made it even better but i mean it was i can definitely tell you i was i was shaking a little bit over that putt <laughs> but, uh, but um yeah I'm, I'm glad it i'm glad i rolled it in and you know to be able to make that last putt too i wouldn't have been in that position if it wasn't for everyone on my team you know zach boshu finishing eight and seven i had no idea you know he finished that quickly <laughs> and uh most of the time that doesn't happen but you know with with Victor and Zach closing them out early, I was I had the fortunate uh, ability to make the last putt and you know have everyone celebrate around me, which was un- unforgettable. Yeah, that that week had to be a, just as a, as a college freshman. I mean, that atmosphere. I, I cover uh, golf on the PJ Tour and have been to events, majors that don't have that kind of atmosphere. What was that like to kind of? Uh, enter that cauldron day after day for for almost an entire week and and have the fans out there rooting you guys on uh i mean i i was i've seen pictures i've been i've been shown videos by you know other oklahoma state players and you know our coaches and we we got a bunch of texts from ex-players saying good luck and you know I, i had heard that you know people really show out for the championships like in the past in 2011 and you know there was thousands of people there but i i didn't really believe it until until i got there the first day and to be honest the first day was probably the the least populated i mean i was i was shaking on the first you know two three holes and (laughs) and i mean there was probably only 40 50 people watching me and then it got to you know the final day of stroke play and the first couple of days of match play. And there was two, 300 people per group, if not more. And, uh, you know, it's just incredible. As soon as you pull up, you see people walking, you know, in the parking lot, you know, by the clubhouse, down by the range, by the first tee. I mean, it, it, it feels like a PGA tour tournament because there's just people everywhere. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a good, 
um, kind of test of how I could handle it. And it was a really good experience to have everyone. But I mean, what made it even better is they're all, they were all pulling for me. So, you know, it really gave me a lot of motivation and, you know, good, good energy and good vibes to go out there and play well in front of them. Yeah. To, to your point, Kyle and I followed you for your, uh, your Auburn match. And I was a little taken aback. I don't cover the PGA tour very often, but I was taken aback when you and the Auburn kid were on the tee box, how many people were moving, making noise. I was like, this it's like one of these guys is going to snap hook one of the trees because there's too much noise going on. Was that was that different than any other? Or were you just in the zone where you don't even hear all that? So I was genuinely concerned people were going to hit some bad shots because of all the noise. Um, that I mean, it has to do with some, but usually if there's people moving, um, the you know the uh, volunteers will get them to stop and stuff. But I didn't really notice it as much as probably the people in the in the crowds, like you said. But, uh, I mean, I think, I think it's more when everyone's still and then as soon as you swing, someone, you know, makes a noise or moves all of a sudden, I think that will throw you off. Whereas if there's people constantly moving, it's kind of just like you already start your swing with it, so you're kind of used to it. Oh. But, but, I mean, I, I didn't really notice that as much. They were probably – I was pretty in the zone and pretty focused on, you know, the shot I had ahead. And actually, uh, our coach, uh, Coach Bratton, you know, he would do that. We'd have qualifying rounds, and um, if he would come out, he would talk to Coach Dar in the middle of our swing. Not, you know, <laughs> purposely, not not loud, but he would kind of whisper and just loud enough to where you could hear him because he wanted to get used to or he wants you to get used to it because when people follow you and you're in these big stages, not everyone's going to be dead quiet and you just kind of have to get used to you know, playing with some distractions. But, I mean, luckily I was so in the zone at the national championship that I didn't notice that at all. There was a great story going around about the first time Mike Holder uh, saw you swing, uh, just kind of what he said to you and asked you. And do you, do you remember that interaction? Yeah, I do. It was, uh, it was on, I think, my first unofficial visit at Oklahoma State. And, uh, you know, Coach Bratton, told coach uh, coach holder you know i put up some low scores and you know i was a good player but you know coach holder is pretty pretty hard to impress pretty straight faced and kind of intimidating when you first meet him and uh he asked me he said i heard you got a pretty funky swing and i go yes sir and he goes you know what i think about that and at that point he was staring at me with no expression and i really did not know what to say <laughs> because you know i'm trying to a million things are going through my mind, you know, wondering well, what's the right thing to say in this situation. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I said, I don't know, sir. And he goes, the right answer is you shouldn't care what I think. <laughs> and, uh, that, that kind of, you know, it's, I first I was, you know, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't really know how to respond to that because coach Holder, I mean, throughout that entire interaction, he was pretty much just staring right in right into my soul. It felt like, and uh, it was it was very you know kind of just intimidating at first, but as you know as it went on, he he kind of those words kind of stuck with me because you know I've had a lot of people comment on my swing and you know I've, people on Instagram or social media or wherever you know when I'm playing and they they always say you know 
comments about my swing, either good or bad, and I kind of just zone them out and know that if I just keep on doing what I'm doing, it's it's been working. So why uh, why try to you know conform to what people think is a good swing when I'm putting up scores that are better than you know better than people with good swings have? So yeah, I assume you were good right away because I would think as a as a junior, if you tried to swing like that and weren't having good results some instructor or your dad, whomever, would try to, swing, to change it to a traditional swing. Was it something that just worked right away? Or was it something you tweaked along the way with, with George Gankus? I know he's been integral in your swing as well. Just how did the swing come about and how did you develop it? Um, I, As a kid, I played a lot of sports, but I played baseball, which was probably my second best sport besides golf. And that I think I feel like that is where the leg kick kind of comes in how I lift my left heel off the ground when mm-hmm. I swing. But uh, it's kind of just been natural. As soon as, you know, ever since I was younger, I always brought it a little upright and vertical at the top and then kind of dropped it in the slot. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's been a weird swing for a while. But, uh, yeah, I worked with George, and he told me that, I mean, all my – where you need to be in a swing is through impact and getting it right on plane as you're coming down it doesn't really matter how you take it back. And I do that really well. And, uh, he kind of just reminded me and, and told me that I need, I needed to, uh, just keep on working with him and, and he would definitely, you know, give me the right instruction and show me the ways in order to, you know, improve it and make it a more consistent move. And, you know, that, that's what I was scared with at first too, that he, I would get a coach that would try to change my swing and he told me as soon as I first started taking lessons from him, he's not going to change my swing. He's going to work with what I have, which I, w- I thought was really important. Yeah, and you, your swing is, is certainly unique, obviously works. Is there Are there any aspects of, of anybody else's swings that, that you've kind of drawn from and applied to your swing? I, I was talking with a former OSU player, and, and we were talking about how, like, a lot of guys now are, are kind of lifting their front foot or, or, or you know, so, somewhat like jumping off the ground. And I'm, I'm just curious if you had, had gleaned anything from any other pros. Um, I, my coach, George, will kind of compare me to some pros at, at some times, you know, if I get stuck. Because what I work on with him is a lot of rotation and getting cleared out. So there's people like, I mean – it's been a while, but I I know Dustin does it really well. He rotates, he rotates really well and has a lot yeah. of power. But I think for like my feet wise, like how I you know push off the ground, I think it's a lot like Bubba. Yeah, and uh, I mean I, I it's not that I kind of integrated that in my swing after I saw Bubba's swing. It's just kind of I, I just always did it naturally, and then my coach kind of pointed pointed it out that i mean the the people who hit the ball the farthest and have the most power are the ones who you know have my action from the ground and you know use it use the ground really well yeah. so he kind of just told me to, to keep on doing what I, what I was doing and you know that's gonna be the recipe for a lot of power and a lot of success yeah it seems it you seems like there's a it seems like there's a little justin justin thomas in there foot wise as well go ahead carson sorry well, I didn't mean to change the subject, but I was going to ask about uh, Alan Bratton. You credit him with 
one of the biggest reasons why you you came to Stillwater. He to me he's an interesting guy to me in the media. You know, the way he he's very very calm, very kind of quiet, kind of does his own thing. He's very unique as far as a head coach is concerned. Just what's it like playing for him, and what was it about him that kind of drew you to Stillwater? Um, Coach Brown's a he's an interesting character. He uh he does things his own way, and which I really like. But uh, I think the main reason why you know he drew me to Stillwater was first it was the program, not just the not just Coach Bratton. But, you know, the history of the program and the, the great players that have been there and all the resources that they have. But I think for Coach Bratton, he, it's, it helped that he played on the PGA Tour for a couple of years. And he was, you know, I think his junior year, he won, you know, National Player of the Year. And he was a three or four time All-American, I think. And, uh, you know, just a stellar college career. And I, I realized that, you know, having that in your circle and, and to help you is, you know, can't, it's not going to hurt you at all. And as soon as I went there, I kind of played in tournaments over there, like the ping invitational when I was a junior and took unofficial and official visits. And uh, I kind of just saw him, you know, and talked to him every, every once in a while. And he kind of just, you know, explained to me what it like, what I'm going to have to work on and what he's going to help me and what he can do and all the tools that he has and the resources and he pretty much just explained to me that whatever I need, Oklahoma State or he will provide, but but pretty much like he's going to help me any way he can. And that, that kind of spoke to me because a lot of the other places that I went to, I mean, they were kind of just saying they had scheduled practices or they had, you know, routines that they would follow. And – for Coach Bratton, he said, you know, if you need to work on wedges, then we're going to work on wedges. And if you need to work on chipping, we're going to work on chipping. It's not, you know, we have team practice and you're, we're going to go play 18 holes and the low score plays in the next tournament. You know, it's more individualized for you, which I really liked. And, you know, he's he's also a really good player, like I said. So he's helped me a lot with, with uh, you know, wedges and, course management really and I think I credit him to you know me being more mature and a better player as you know I've I've grown up and ended my first year we'll get you out of here on this one um there's been a or there was a lot of talk during NCAA championship week just about you know what's next for you obviously had a great freshman year and had a lot of success won a national title Uh, what what goes into and and how do you start thinking about the next step about turning pro and, and how much you, have you thought about it? And, and uh, just what are kind of the inputs that go into, into that decision? Um, I, I have thought of it. I, at first I didn't really, because I, I, I knew I was going to return. I told everyone, I told the coaches I was going to return. I told, you know, everyone on the team and everyone who asked me really, I told them I was, I was going to return for my sophomore year. And, uh, you know, I, I realized that I'd really, I did have a really good year, but there are a lot of things that I need to do first before I turn pro, in my opinion, and same thing with Coach Bratton. And, uh, you know, like, I, I, yes, I had second runner-up, or four runner-up finishes, four second-place finishes, but I still haven't gotten a win yet. And I feel like you have to win, you know, or at least, you know, 
be dominant in some fashion and before you can, you know, make that step into the next into the next level because I know how hard it is. And, uh, you know, I just realized that there's a lot of things that I have to do. I have to mature mentally and, you know, physically, and I have to, you know, kind of just think about, you know, turning pro because once you do that, you're kind of on your own. You know, you, you, you have to work, you have to practice every day and, you know, get up out of bed and work out and stuff. And there's just a lot of things that go into it. And me and coach were talking about it and we're going to make a little plan of what I might, you know, not have to accomplish, but what I probably should accomplish before I feel ready. And uh, so, I mean, there was a lot of thought into it because, you know, I know there's a lot of money out there and, but you know, my, my ideal is there's the money's always going to be there. The PGA tour is always going to be there. And there's a lot of things in amateur golf that I could do that haven't been done. So I think I'm going to try to, you know, work, work towards those and hopefully do a couple of, you know, achieve a couple of goals of mine in amateur golf. And I would especially like to play in a major as an amateur. So it's, uh, you know, I have thought of it and I would like to turn pro, but, you know, I, 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 I don't think I'm ready yet. So I'm definitely going to return my to school my sophomore year and, you know, we'll play it by year after that. But, you know, I'm I'm in no rush to turn pro because, like I said, the money and the PGA Tour will always be there. So I'm just going to try to improve my game to the point where when I am ready to turn pro, I feel like I can go out and win. Where, you know, instead of going out there and just trying to make cuts and stuff, I'm, I'm trying to go out there and be the best player in the world. Yeah, that's phenomenal hey you, sign me up sign me if up. you if you if you win the, if you win the usa in this summer you're getting a couple majors next year so uh, yeah, sure, yeah. by the way i'm watching uh your former teammate right now uh Chris, christopher ventura or christopher i don't i still don't know how you say it uh <laughs> pl- playing playing with taylor gooch out at uh the quick and loans. So, may, hey, maybe th- maybe this time next year you're, you're playing the quick and loans, and, and we're watching you on PGA Tour Live. Uh, Matthew Wolf, thank you for your time, and uh, best of luck this summer at uh, all the events you're at, and uh, good luck next year in your uh, sophomore year at Oklahoma State. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys having me, and hope you guys have a good day. Thanks, Thanks Matthew. We'll appreciate talk it. Talk to you later. Bye. Okay, little little newsworthy bit at the end there, Carson. Breaking news! This is uh, this is what we do on the Pistol Spine Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we break news. I don't uh, know if it, I don't know if it's he will, breaking I mean, news. Well, I mean, it it's, wasn't it's official, news. was it? It's news. It's news <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. And can can you say superstar? Like yeah. that kid. That kid's a superstar. Yeah, I know. Did I mean, you that, talk? How good, did how you... good was that answer at the end about? <laughs> <laughs> wanting to be ready and wanting to be number one in the world. Like, obviously he's confident, but just, I'm sorry. The, he, he's got it all. He's he's going to be a stud. You you didn't talk like that when you were 19? Oh, my gosh, no. <laughs> and that's actually the first thing I, I – my first impression of him was on uh, – you know, I had read the stats that he was, you know, one of the longest on, on, on the college circuit. But then I watched the, the Driven show, and he just – flew off the TV screen. He was like giving all the best answers. He was excellent. I was like, that guy's going to be a star. And then sure enough, he, he did what he did in Stillwater. So 
it it no, does like, seem like it does seem like there's something to the idea that you're kind of this big uh sweeping personality in the world of golf i, I don't I don't know if that maybe that's true in other sports as well, but it it seems like I mean think about like the top ten guys in the world. They all have these kind of over maybe Dustin Johnson. It's an exception, but they kind of have these like big personalities and they're gregarious and just they're they're characters really. And you you do get the sense of that when you're when you when you talk to Matthew Wolf when you're around him. Um, so yeah, I wonder I wonder if that's a I don't know. I guess we see it in basketball too, like with KD and LeBron. Like those are pretty big personality guys. Um, so I don't know. It, it's it's pretty interesting to think about when it comes to the world of golf, though. And then there's Aaron Wise, <laughs> who's, <laughs> who's not Mr. Charisma. So you don't have to have it. But uh, no, he he certainly has a big personality. He's got the game to back it up. Uh, I think he is going to be super marketable whenever he decides to turn pro. I did. I did find it interesting. He's very well aware of how much money there is to be made, but he yeah. he's taking a very level-headed approach about this. I mean, he's mature beyond his years, as you mentioned. Uh, to know that you know you can't just join after your freshman year and expect to to compete at the PGA Tour level. He he realizes he has some work to do, and he'll he'll be there after his sophomore year. So that was cool that he uh, broke some news here on the pod. Yeah, I I think it sounds like he's been talking to Mike Holder. Best years of your life, college golf, <laughs> amateur golf. Uh, by the way, how cool is it that the U.S. Amateur is at Pebble Beach? That's awesome. That's Isn't that where the uh, U.S. Open is next year, too? Yeah, yeah. Pretty, yeah, pretty, for an amateur to get to play Pebble is not bad. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty pretty sweet. It was at Riviera last year, too, which was which was pretty awesome as well. Um, yeah, and I was I was well away. Like, this is interesting. Um my first few rounds this year did not go well, and my buddy was like, "You need to watch some of uh, George Gankus's stuff on uh, on YouTube." <laughs> and, and so, believe me, I was plowing through the George Gankus videos, and uh, I didn't even realize it at the time, but one of them had a young, like thirteen, fourteen year old Matthew Wolf in it, and I didn't recognize him at the time, obviously. But I, I kind of once I saw that swing in person, I was like, "Where have I seen that before?" And I. I went back and watched it. It was pretty funny to see how far he's come with. And George Gankus was actually out at Karsten Creek. I saw him out there uh, as yeah. well. So it's it's pretty cool that he has an instructor that just encouraged him to to do that swing. Because I think of guys like you know Reggie Miller. How did Reggie Miller keep that shot all the way to the NBA? Obviously, he was good at it, and that's yeah. that's why. It's just it, you're just so used to when you're a kid to be corrected on those certain things. But I guess if you're just elite right away that's kind of what i was trying to get at was like were you elite right away and that's how you were not able to change it because i feel like if you have one bad round someone's got to be like well you got to change your swing yeah and you know i was there's a great article in sports illustrated i don't know if i'm allowed to read sports illustrated yet but uh a a couple weeks (laughs) ago about justin thomas and talking about how when he was a kid he used to swing cross-handed like he would he would have his hands in the wrong position and his dad never corrected him. Like he just let him swing, and he eventually grew out of it and grew into the swing he has now, which is the number two player in the world. And I, I think there's something to be said for, uh, as my buddy Brandon Porath says, not like developing a data data point driven swing in a laboratory, and just swinging how you swing and understanding it and understanding how it works. 
and what it does and then repeating it over and over and over again. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, well, uh, Matt mentioned Bubba Watson. He's somebody that does that. And, and uh, I, think you're, I think you're starting to see that more. I think guys are more aware of the value that that brings. And, and certainly it has for, for Matt so far in his amateur, amateur career. For sure. So it's gonna be he's gonna be fun to watch next year. Uh, so so they have Hovland and Wolf coming back. Oh boy! And Ekrot. And Ekrot. Uh, they have everybody and Bushu, and Bushu, right? Yeah. Who's gonna be the fifth man now? Do we know? Everybody except for Ventura. Uh, it could be Hayden Wood, medalist at the USAM last year. Willie Wood's uh, son. Yeah. Could be. They got that kid from. Uh, I think he's from India coming over, but that might not be until 2020 or 20 end of 2019. Well, I did do a recruiting check, uh, after they won at Carson <laughs> Creek, the, they recruited one kid from Denmark that he was their signing class this year. So I don't know if he'll be on campus yet or not, but his swing is Adam Scott esque. <laughs> I must say you got, you got deep in the college golf recruiting game. Oh, I'm 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 on like chapter ten on the last putt. I'm I'm looking at OSU golf rankings. Uh, I'm I'm playing in a match play today. I'm all in. <laughs> they Actually, had, I really am playing in a match play today. By the way, that's amazing. They had uh, four seniors on last year's team, but the only one that was was playing in the uh, in the championship matches was Ventura. The other three, I think the other three like played throughout the year, but they they were not uh, on the on the five that that played at the at the very end. Yeah, and two of those three nearly qualified for the U.S. Open. I saw they were pretty high on the one of those qualifiers too. So the guys who didn't even get to play were flirting with making the U.S. Open. That tells you how stacked they were. Yeah, it's 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 just an embarrassment of riches. Uh, Hovland uh, got to, I think the final 16 or final, it might've been the final eight of the uh, amateur championship, which is basically the USAM, but the British version of it. Uh, and the winner there gets into the open, gets into the U S open next year. Um, so he, he got kind of close there. Um, but yeah, they're just, they're going to be loaded again next year. I mean, it's, we, if you have Hovland, Eckerode and, uh, Matthew Wolf coming back. That's just, that's a joke. I'm trying to figure out where the national championship is next year. It's in Arkansas. Oh, so we gotta, OSU we fans go. can travel. Yeah, I'm in. Let's go. We're going. All right. Yeah. Will it be too much if we're, if we're in wolf costumes <laughs> lining the fairway? Like the people that wear the tiger costumes to. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Would that be too much? Might be it might be 100 degrees again. Yeah, might be a little much. Might get um, our credentials pulled if we do that. Okay, let's get to this week's uh, uniform review brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. This is this is a question I wanted to ask Matt, but we didn't. We kind of ran out of time there. He had to get going. Um, best dressed on the PGA Tour. I've I've probably asked you that before, maybe multiple times. But do you have a uh, anybody come to top of mind right now, Carson? Well, to, uh, since we're on the topic, uh, in the latest George Gankis videos, Matthew Wolf has been rocking the swoosh mm. on his hat and polo. I don't know if that's an indicator of what he might be wearing when he when he turns pro or not. I just I, I distinctly remember Ricky Fowler started wearing a lot of Puma 
towards the latter end of his career at OSU. So I don't know if that's an indicator or not, but uh, I'm, I'm all about the Nike. So can I say Matthew Wolf, even though he's an amateur? <laughs> you know, he's already rocking the swoosh. I mean, I mean I'm in. I'm all in. He, he, uh, I'm on the Wolf bandwagon. Uh, Ventura's rocking the swoosh at the the Quicken Loans tournament that I'm watching right now. And I think Hovland wears it as well. That's got to be some sort of like just com- comfortability factor because they're sponsored by Nike at uh, at Oklahoma State. Um, well, I think I think Nike realizes OSU's a, a golf factory. Like Kevin Tway's Nike, right? He's Nike from yeah. head to toe. Yeah. I don't know about Gooch, but... Um, he's, he's uh, I think he's just Callaway and something else. He's not Nike. Yeah. But, uh, but I no. wanted to, Who, who's I, your best dress, Justin Thomas? Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I like Adam Scott. He's always pretty sharp. I used to like Tiger, but he's gotten just crazy with the colorways and the lines, <laughs> and it's just it's not good. Nah, hadn't been great. No. Um, blade, the blade collars. I like. I, I think. I think what DJ does is pretty good. Pretty simple. Pretty straightforward. Adidas. Yeah, he makes it. He makes Adidas look okay. <laughs> Acceptable. It's not as bad in golf as it is Patrick, in college football. Patrick Reed. No. <laughs> he wears like hemp necklaces and bracelets or what. Uh, to go with his his Nike shirt that doesn't fit very well. Oh, that's so good. Okay, uh, let's hear one more time from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit, and then we're going to come back. I got a little overrated, underrated for us to play, Carson, and then we will uh, wrap it up and get to the weekend. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma, is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, uh, you ready for some uh, – I've got four overrated, underrateds for you. So I'll throw out a, a subject, and you have to tell me whether you think it's overrated or underrated. Okay. Uh, first one is the College World Series. Um, I'd say underrated. It kind of it, – it comes at a good point in the year where there's literally nothing happening other than, I guess, it's a World Cup year, so we have the World Cup to watch. But uh, – it's a fascinating event. I mean, it lasts for like two weeks. If you if you make it to the championship series, you're there for two weeks. So uh, I would say it's it's a little underrated nowadays. It used to be a bigger deal than it is now, but uh, I'll go underrated. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, I haven't watched a ton of it, but it's been fun. I enjoyed following along on Twitter last night when Arkansas sort of blew their chance to uh, to beat Oregon State in the second of the best of three. Did you see that? Yes, they they had a foul ball to win the national to catch it to win the national championship, and they botched it. And then Oregon State hits like a three run homer or something and comes back to to win. And now they got to play again today. Not good. <laughs> oh man, that's a heartbreaker. I don't know how Arkansas comes back from that. Yeah, 
Uh, okay, this is somebody who who got brought up recently uh, by of all people, Doug Gottlieb. But less miles, underrated or overrated? Oh, underrated. People think he's just like a, a joker, like a clown. But he he's, <laughs> he's he's won everywhere he's been. He had he had Oklahoma State beating Oklahoma in their their absolute prime under Bob Stoops. Went to the Cotton Bowl. Uh, went to LSU, won a national championship. I mean, the guy gets probably the least amount of respect from a national championship winner I've ever seen. So I'll, I'm going way underrated. Yeah, he gets talked about a lot though. Like he's almost he's almost nationally underrated, but like overrated by people who are really close to the sport. Like he gets he just gets talked about a ton. He he is really good though. I, I guess. I guess I'd have has to anyone say. ever has anyone ever said Les Miles is a top five coach in the country? Even even when they won the national championship, nobody was yeah, saying that. I know that that tells me he's underrated. Yeah, that's a that's a great that's a great point. That's a really good point. Um, okay, last one since we got Big Twelve Media Days coming up. Uh, just the Big Twelve in general. The the numbers for revenue came out recently, and uh, they're hanging in. They're they're right in the middle of the pack of the Power Five. So I'm curious about. Uh, whether you think the Big Twelve is overrated or underrated right now? Underrated. They went. They're they're back from the dead. I mean, I think the tide has turned a little bit on the Pac-12. You know, they went winless in uh, their bowl games yeah. last year. They've actually gone longer than the Big Twelve without winning a national championship. I believe. I think USC in 04 was the last time they won, and Texas won in 05. So and obviously the revenue is up for the Big Twelve and it's just it doesn't seem as dire as as it, it's been in the past. So I'm gonna go underrated. Remember when every conference was just clamoring to be part of a uh, like a, a TV network, like be part of ESPN or be part like have their own uh, conference affiliated network. Mm-hmm. Not not the case anymore. You know, as we've seen people kind of cut the cord and and just not watch. ESPN or TV in general as much like you're almost in a better spot if you're the big 12 where you, you know, I feel like the ACC has been talking about for the last five years. Oh, we're going to have our ACC network and ESPN's going to distribute it. And it's like, well, where is that? And why is it not happening? And the big 12 retain all those teams, Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, Kansas, they retain their what's called third tier rights, which I know we're getting into the weeds a little bit, but it, it like, schools retaining ownership of that i think is is great i mean you you don't want somebody else like espn trying to distribute it as people are not watching espn as much anymore so i i think it's a pretty interesting and fortuitous position to be in even if it was a little bit accidental yeah and i think the big 12 should absolutely be uh proactive and becoming one of the first conferences to get into the the Netflix, the streaming yeah. aspect yeah. of all of this, they could really be cutting edge and kind of be innovators if they, uh, you know, really get out in front of it. And I think that's something they really need to look at. Uh, I think Bob, I think Bob Bowlesby is is doing a decent job. You know, he took a lot of flack for just how, you know, the one true champion when they're handing out two trophies. But uh, he has a real opportunity to, to capitalize on uh, some openings as far as the way the future is going. Bob Bowlesby, Bob Bowlesby might be underrated. Bob Bowlesby underrated. <laughs> That's how I say his name every time. It's great. 
Okay, Carson. Uh, good week of pods. We we got two in this week. We'll be back uh, hopefully at the beginning of uh, next week, and uh, hopefully have a special guest then as well. So it's been a fun summer so far. We got Big Twelve Media Days coming up, and then uh, on into fall camp and and football season. We're gonna play golf at Media Days. Uh, we're gonna try to. It's it's the uh, Open Championship week, so I'm oh, okay. I'm all. I'm all out of sorts again, but uh, I think I'm, I think uh, our buddy a million might be down, and we'll try to get we'll try to get at least one round in. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah, and we'll sure. uh, we'll break we'll break more news next week. <laughs> might be tougher with our guests next week, but uh, we'll we'll do our best. All right, we'll talk to you then. Okay, see you, Carson.